Welcome to the Divorce Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Carolee Fontanelli, and I am a divorce lawyer and author and have been through divorce myself. I'm here to support you throughout your breakup journey. On this podcast, I will share with you my secrets and legal tips on how you can thrive through your separation in small six-minute increments. Don't do it alone. I have got you. Hello. Welcome back to the Divorce Collective podcast. I'm Danielle Young. I'm your host again today, as always. And thank you for joining in um, and listening to me, I guess, and uh, giving us some support. Again, the idea of this podcast is to give you, the listeners, um, some snippets of information um, that could assist you or could assist someone you know um, navigating the family law system and processes. So, Um, I spoke previously about some of navigating the risks of financial um, agreements. Um, Today, I'm going to talk to you about Thorne and Kennedy. It's a case that highlights the risks with financial agreements. So the case of Thorne and Kennedy um, is a notable family law case in Australia that deals with the issues of financial agreements and particularly prenuptial agreements. The case was heard by the High Court of Australia in 2017 and it involved a wealthy property developer, Mr. Kennedy, and his fiancée, Ms. Thorne. The ruling by the High Court of Australia has several implications um, that have shaped the legal landscape in this area. So, some background details. The parties met online and Mr. Kennedy, who was significantly wealthier than Ms. Thorne, proposed to her. The wealth discrepancy was such that Ms. Thorne really had no substantial assets at the time of the marriage, while Mr. Kennedy's net worth was somewhere in the vicinity of between about $18 million and $24 million. There was a significant age gap between the parties. Mr. Kennedy was 67, Ms. Thorne was 36. So Ms. Thorne lived overseas when they met online, but she moved to Australia about seven months later, which was in about February of 2007. A wedding date was set for September 2007. Mr Kennedy insisted that for the marriage to take place, Miss Thorne must sign a prenuptial agreement that would limit her rights to any property settlement in the event of a divorce. He in fact said, if she does not sign it, there will be no wedding. All right, so the prenuptial agreement itself, the financial agreement presented uh, to Miss Thorne was highly favourable to Mr Kennedy, as you can might imagine. Ms. Thorne was given the agreement just days before the wedding and was under significant emotional pressure to sign it. Her family had arrived um, already in Australia for the wedding and the wedding preparations were all but set out. She sought legal advice. Interestingly enough, Mr. Kennedy kindly took her to the lawyer the very next day after he gave her the agreement to get that legal advice. Ms. Thorne's uh, lawyers strongly advised against signing the agreement, stating Um, that it was the worst agreement they'd ever seen. Miss Thorne's lawyer also told her that she seemed to be under significant stress with all the wedding preparations and that she appeared to be put in a very precarious position of signing the agreement for the wedding to even go ahead. Despite this advice, Miss Thorne signed that agreement and the wedding proceeded four days later. All right, the legal proceedings. After the marriage ended in divorce, Miss Thorne sought to set aside this prenuptial agreement. The case went through several levels of the Australian court system before reaching the High Court. In the first instance, a judge of the family court ruled that the agreement was signed under duress 
undue influence or as a result of unconscionable conduct. Mr. Kennedy then appealed to the full family court. That appeal was upheld and the original ruling of the family court judge overturned. Ms. Thorne then appealed to the High Court and the High Court found in her favour, with the majority finding the agreement was voidable as it, made, it was made in circumstances of undue influence and unconscionable conduct. The remaining judges found that there'd been um, unconscionable conduct but not undue influence. So, agreement, out the window. How it has shaped our legal landscape. The case clarified the circumstances under which financial agreement can be set aside based on factors such as undue influence and unconscionable conduct. The court emphasised that if one party exerts undue pressure or takes advantage of a significant power imbalance, rendering the agreement unfair, it may be considered voidable. The decision highlighted the importance of recognising and addressing power imbalances in relationships, particularly when it comes to financial agreements. The court acknowledged the vulnerability of parties in situations where there is significant disparity in financial positions, making it crucial for the law to, pro um, to provide protections against exploitation. The case underscored the importance of seeking independent legal advice before entering into the agreement. <clears throat> the parties were reminded, <clears throat> excuse me, that legal advice is not just a formality, but it's a critical step to ensure that both parties fully understand the implications of the agreement and that it is fair and reasonable. So the case serves as a protect protective measure for vulnerable parties, particularly those with less bargaining power in a relationship. The ruling of Thorne and Kennedy reinforces the principles that family law should promote fairness and prevent exploitation, especially when it comes to agreements that significantly affect the financial rights of the parties involved. The decision provided clarity on the consequences of entering into an unfair financial agreement, as it may be set aside by the court. And it signals to legal practitioners, couples and the wider community at large that the family law courts will intervene when agreements are deemed unjust or inequitable. So in summary, Thorne and Kennedy has a prof had a profound impact on family law matters in Australia by establishing clearer guidelines on the validity and enforceability of financial agreements. It emphasises the need for fairness, transparency, a level playing field in the negotiations and execution of such agreements with a specific focus on protecting vulnerable parties in relationships with significant power imbalances. So tie this case in with my previous podcast about the risks that financial agreements have and if you're contemplating entering into one, get some solid sound legal advice, especially if they're prenuptials. And if they are post, no, so if they're post separation agreements, there are other alternatives that don't necessarily put you or parties at the inherent risks that these financial agreements can have. That's it for me today. I promise I'll try and think of an, uh, the next podcast to be less doom and gloom for you all. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in again. I hope you got some valuable, valuable information. As always, if you need any family law assistance, reach out to us. Go over to the uh, Collective Family Law Group website. Find me on it. My email is right there. Um, 
send me an email um, and we can have a free confidential no obligation chat about your family law matters if you don't want to talk to me you can talk to one of the other fabulous lawyers here all right until next time thanks thank you for listening to the divorce collective podcast brought to you by collectivefamilylaw.com.au If you got value from this week's episode, I would love it if you would hit subscribe and take a minute to leave a review. You can connect with us on Instagram or Facebook just by searching for Collective Family Law. And remember, until next time, you have got this.